0: Father, today we just pray, and first we say thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thank you that you are a God uh, who leads a multi-generational family. And today we just honor your presence. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come and give us living understanding of the Word of God. Come and give us living understanding of the time and the season that we're in. Come and give us living understanding of the story that we belong to in the Great Commission at this time, at this period, but also the Great Commission through us as Antioch. And we just ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us into truth as this multi-generational family on mission today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Um, All right, let me get sorted here. Okay, well, (laughs) I'm the old man. I need some help. (laughs) I was like, getting forgetful where I put my notes. All right. Um, You know, uh, I was so touched when uh, Joe shared with me the words that the Lord was speaking to him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, I woke up this morning, um, you know, and Joe and I hadn't spoken. And when I woke up early, I felt the Holy Spirit resting on me. And I heard him say, uh, Antioch's a multi-generational family on mission. And I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when I heard when Joe I was like, holy smokes. You know, I felt pressure, like anxiety, like, okay, I got to bring something from the Lord, right? In that moment. And, um, and, and I, so I really believe what I'm going to share with you today is a family word for you. And, uh, and so I want us to lean in with hunger. You know, we are provoked by all these young uh, students who are at world mandate. And I'm not talking about the college students from Baylor. We are hearing stories this morning of an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old who took three, four pages of notes. It was so encouraging. We talk a lot about Gen Z, but what about Gen Alpha? Man, they are going to change the the world. Yeah, so I was provoked. I was like, man, when's the last time I took notes uh, listening to a message? So I, I said before the Lord, I was like, next time I'm, I'm sitting in a message, I'm going to pull out my phone, pull out my notebook, lean in a little bit more like I haven't heard the Bible before, right? With the same intent that when we go to these unreached nations and we're sharing the gospel for the first time, you know, and they're leaning in. I was just in Mongolia with my family, and I remember we were uh, doing outreach amongst the nomadic people. I shared shared the gospel with this woman in a yurt, and she was crying, and I'm like, well, what do you feel right now? She goes, this is the best news that I've ever heard in my life, and she's like, hey. I was like, really? She's like, yes, if this is true, this changes everything, and I'm like, it is true, you know what I mean? <laughs> so in the same way, I want to lean in as I as, um, as share God's word so I want to start by showing a picture of my family. Can we get that thing up there? Awesome. So this is my multi-generational family on mission. The two older ones, the older woman's my mom, not my wife, just to clarify that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, the, the two older ones are my parents. They're in their mid-70s. And uh, four years ago, my dad called me. He's like, son we're retiring He says, I think I got 10 good years to serve the Lord. And he's like, all my friends, they're playing golf all the time and they actually look bored. He's like, but I think I got 10 good years. He's like, what do you think if I came to YOM Kona and did a DTS? And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, and then joined staff. I was like, oh my goodness. And he's like, we're gonna sell our house that we've lived in for almost 40 years. We're gonna sell our house and we're gonna buy something there And we want to go, what do you think about this? And I'm like, dad, you are wild. Like, I can't believe this. You know, like you're a wild man. And he goes, you know what? And he was talking like a child. He was like, I haven't felt like I've taken a risk like this since you, since my mother and I, uh, since your mother and I immigrated to the United States in 1976. They're like, we were only like 24 years old. We packed up two trunks of clothes. We brought 30 orphans with us from Korea so we could fly for free. And we knew we were setting out on an adventure. I was like, that is crazy. I was like, are you gonna pack up and bring 30 orphans with you? Hawaii, you know, and so he said, But I know that I have to take this risk again. And I was like, man, this is incredible. So they joined us at YWAM more on fire than ever before. My mom lives in the prayer room, right? (laughs) It's just uh, that old Korean intercession. And I just love them so much because I come from a background of selling drugs, right? Selling fake tax forms. I was getting high all the time, making 20 grand a month doing that. And then I am a product of prayer and a trophy of grace. Actually, eight months ago, uh, my mom and I were going through old notes that she took from the time when she prayed over my life when I was a teenager. And we were tracing back answers to prayer Uh, that she prayed almost 25 years ago in this day right now. It was so encouraging. And you just realize, holy smokes, no tear is missed by God and he will always answer the cry of his people. No prayer remains unlingering before the throne of God. And he always responds. So I'm just so grateful for them. And uh, the, the probably the highlight of this whole thing is my dad's now on staff and I'm his boss. So I get to like tell him what to do, right? <laughs> but so they, it's so great having them. Um, the beautiful lady there is my wife, Yuri. We have been married for 15 years. And we have four beautiful children. Yeah, let's go. I told World Mandate, I'm the president of the Married Up Club. I told him we were getting married. One of us is going to have to marry down. It's not going to be me. I'm moving on up. I'm getting that upgrade by marrying you. And I was also told World Mandate, like people didn't believe in the Holy Spirit until they saw us get together. And they're like, man, God works miracles. So I'm like, I know. It's crazy, right? <laughs> and so we've been married 15 years. We have four beautiful children, Vera, Ezra, Benaya, and Ruby. And uh, it's so wonderful. Our favorite rhythm of the week is Sunday night, we have family dinner. And when we have family dinner, we're, I've been very intentional recently to ask my parents lots of questions. Like, tell me about when great-grandma met the first American missionary who came to Korea. Tell me about when she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Tell me how they, how she was sharing the very little money and food that she had with those around her. I was like, I wanna hear those stories because this is a part of my multi-generational inheritance as a multi-generational family on mission. So we would go and we would share. And after that, you know, my parents would bless us and then you know as uh, as their son you know eventually a son becomes a father and eventually a daughter becomes a mother and you have your own children you're still a son and a daughter but you're also now a mother and father and there we're passing these stories on to my kids passing on our inheritance to them and we dream together what are the vision and values of our family We dream together. What are we going to leave for your children? I speak to my kids. And they're like, I'm only 12. You know, and I'm like, what are we going to leave for them? You know, and and it's so wonderful to be a family who's following God multi-generationally. Everyone is important in that storyline. But I love that the emphasis is on the children because it has to do with the future. There's honor for the past, but there's greater innovating for the future of where we're headed. And we live in that tension regularly as a family that is on mission. And it's, a, it's a, such a great joy for us to raise our kids in that environment. When I was praying for you guys, and I really woke up with this word, I was thinking, you are a multi-generational family on mission. You could be your vision and values, but you are a multi-generational family on mission. And as I was praying, I really felt like I was like, so how do you sum up God Antioch as a movement, as a church? And I really felt the Holy Spirit say to me, they are a covenant people. They are a covenant people. And I was like, man, tell me a little bit about what this means. And we're going to unpack that a bit today. But let's start in Matthew chapter 7. So if you guys have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through, where am I going, to verse 28. So here we have Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And we see that Matthew 5 through 7, he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, which is like the cultural constitution of the kingdom of God. He's sharing like, hey, you're not a part of this world. You're part of a different kingdom. And this is how this family operates. This is how this multi-generational family on mission actually functions. And then he caps off the end of that message with this passage. And this is where he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone say, Build your house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Everyone say, Did not fall. It did not fall. Because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. In this passage, we know Jesus is addressing a first century Jewish audience. And you know, when they think of a house, they're probably not thinking like most of us in America who think of a home, right, in the suburbs with a father and a mother and some children inside that house. They're probably thinking of there's a house uh, that has mother, father, father, grandparents, grandkids, aunts, uncles, cousins, many generations together, and probably even an extension of their family where maybe there's some neighborhood kids who don't have homes that they've now invited into their house. And what was their family rhythm? What were they talking about? What was the dinner table conversation? And if there were a house, as Jesus is describing, they were ones who were talking about the word of the Lord. What does the scripture say about our family? They were once talking about the word of the Lord. What are the prophetic words to the community that we're part of? What are the prophetic words that actually belong to our family? And not only that, they were probably talking at that dinner table rhythm. How do we apply these words of the Lord immediately in our life? Because Jesus makes it really clear. It's one thing to hear the word, but you have to obey the word to be built upon the rock. So many people hear the word all the time, but don't necessarily obey it. Jesus said, that person's foolish right? James tells us really clearly in James chapter 1, don't be just mere hearers of the word, but be doers of the word lest we deceive ourselves. And if we look in the book of Deuteronomy, and the Shema, right, uh, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, really this word, as we see, says listen, the word is listen and obey. It's one continuous motion. There's no separation between hearing the word and doing the word. It's actually being the word, right? You guys get what I'm saying? And so, Here, you have this multi-generational family hearing the word of the Lord and obeying the word of the Lord. And it says that their house is the one that stood. When the rains came pounding, when the winds started blowing, they were unshakable. Because their foundation was on the rock. Who is Jesus? And how many of you know we live in a very turbulent time? We live in an increasing anti-Christian environment. We live in a time where eventually even the Bible will become a hate book. And this is all shown in Scripture. Psalm chapter 2, the nations rage in unity against Jesus, against God's Holy One, calling His commands that bring life, joy, and peace. They call His commands bondage. Can you believe that? They're calling right things wrong and wrong things right. But yet there's a family... A multi-generational family who's sitting or who's standing upon the rock because they're hearing the word of the Lord and being obedient to the word of the Lord. You are a multi-generational family. More than a church, more than a logo, more than a mission-sending agency, you are a covenant people who are a multi-generational family. So I want to unpack covenant a little bit for you. So if we could throw up that slide. And in this, I want to I ask all of you a question, and don't give me an answer, but a question for you to ponder and for you to take to your own quiet times, to your own families, to your own life groups. What are the words of the Lord to Antioch, and what are the Lord's to you, words of the Lord to you? This is really important to understand. What are the words of the Lord to Antioch, and what are the words of the Lord to you? So as you know, You're in a Kairos season as a movement. Kairos means God's appointed time. And there's a word that's come about Antioch 3.0, which is now you are a generation launching another round. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But just like Abraham, he had this encounter. And then Isaac, he knew what his dad's story was, but then he eventually has his encounter in his generation. And the same with Jacob. He knows his grandfather's story, his father's story, his story, but he has to have an encounter around that story for himself. And, and, and in this, you are a covenant people. And so let's go over some of the characteristics of covenant. So, number one. This is God's side of the covenant. First, it's God initiated. It's God who initiates covenant. It's not like you just draw it out of your own strength. God initiates a process, usually with a person. But it's not just for that person. It's so much bigger than that. But it's always God initiated. The second thing is, there's a destiny-defining encounter, right? It's usually with that person, but it's so much bigger than that person. And within that destiny-defining encounter for that person, right, many, many, many find their destiny within that storyline, right? So for example, we talk about covenant. Think about the new covenant. Jesus is the centerpiece of civilization. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega who's declared the end from the beginning. All of everything that we do is about his story and our story within his story, He has a destiny-defining deal through covenant and all of us somehow are finding now the plans that God has for our life and the placement that we have and the purpose that we have within that story. Does that make sense? All right, within this destiny-defining encounter as well, God starts to give promises, not just to an individual, but to many, 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 many people. And then on top of that, it brings vision that he continues to clarify over and over again. He begins to impart responsibility through this. And then also when he initiates covenant, it carries multi-generational implications. This is really important to understand. But let's unpack this a little bit more. Let's look at the life of Abram in Genesis chapter 15. So, you know, we had that Genesis 12 moment. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Abraham's like, man, this is awesome. I love this word. But then eventually some time goes and he's like, man, I'm still powerless. God called me a father of nations, but I can't even have a child. Like how many times have you felt that way? God gives you a word and everything in your circumstances is opposite of that word, right? That's where real faith can come in, right? So with all that to say, eventually in, um, in uh, Genesis 15, God shows up to him in a vision and he says to speak to him like, man, I am your reward. I am your inheritance and some language like that. And then Abraham, because he has real relationship with God, is honest with him. He's like, yeah, you're saying that. I love what you're saying, but my goodness, I have no children still. And man, now Eliezer, Damascus, my servant, he's going to actually have to be the heir of my house. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're going to have an own child from your own lineage, from your own body, right? And when he says that, what does Abraham say? It says he believed him at his word and God accredited to him as righteous, righteousness. And then I love how intimate it is. It says that Abram was in a tent and what did God do? Did he come in there when he had this vision? It says, then he took him out of the tent. Did he put his hand on his shoulder? Didn't he just look him in the eyes and say, Trust me? But whatever he did, it was in a minute. He pulled him out of the tent and he says, Abraham, look at all the stars in the sky. You will have more descendants than all these stars in the sky. And I'm grateful for Abraham's faith because I am one of those stars. You are one of those stars. And somehow we have found our destiny inside of this covenant that God made with this man that we never met from thousands of years ago. And we see later on in that passage that Abraham makes a covenant or God makes a covenant with Abram. He initiates it. Abraham's still going through this wrestling process. So God's like, all right, this is what you're going to do. We're going to make a covenant together. Abram's like, I know how we get down. This is like a contract. Like nowadays, you know, if I were to buy a car, you, uh, you know, Jimmy and I were, would sign a few papers. We'd get something notarized and it would be a real transaction that would happen. Yeah, you don't want to buy your car. I don't know. I'm a or Your car's probably way better than mine. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> and so with all that to say, they didn't sign contracts, but then but this is what they would do is that they would make a covenant. So they would take an animal, they would split it from the top of its head to the bottom of its feet, and then there would be two halves of this animal lying on both sides, all the guts spilling out, all the blood. You guys are hunters here in Texas. You know what that looks like, you know? And it's like, yeah, I got a big cheer out of that one, right? And it's like, you see these two animals split, and what they would do is the two people within that covenant would put their hand in the blood like this, shake hands, and then they would walk like a figure eight around the two halves. And in front of witnesses, they would say, hey, if I don't hold my end of the bargain, and if you don't hold your end of the bargain, you can kill me and I can kill you, just like we did with this animal. And here are all the witnesses say, it's okay. That's just, right? But in that moment, what we see happen is God tells Abram to do this. Abraham splits the animals. He's exhausted, trying to fend off all the vultures that are trying to get their pound of flesh. And eventually he gets so tired, he falls asleep. And then God himself wakes up Abram. And when God wakes up, or when Abram wakes up, he sees God himself walking in that figure eight. Because God knows, Abram, you're not strong enough to fulfill your end of the bargain. And I know that only I can fulfill this end of the bargain. And let me tell you, if you fail, you can kill me. And if I fail, I will kill me. Sounds like Jesus. And there, Abram believes God at his word and it accredits to him as righteous. We are a covenant people. Antioch, you are a covenant people. Can you put up that slide again of the uh, characteristics of covenant? So let's personalize this a bit more. So we know Jesus, new covenant. We know we're a part of the Abrahamic covenant. But God not only makes covenants in like just broadly in scripture, but he actually makes covenants to movements right? And Jimmy would never have known 35, 40 years ago that God would initiate something with him. He would never know that that in his obedience, that it would open up a train for so many other people to find their calling to the nations, Jordan, Thailand, Myanmar, Saudi Arabia, Germany, the nations I kept hearing just from this morning in worship from people that I met. And they found their place, and their children were raised in the field. God initiated this. It wasn't one man's good idea. It was one man's appropriate response. And in that, God initiated something called Antioch, before it was even called Antioch. And in that, brought destiny-defining encounter, that brought promise-giving, vision clarification, responsibility imparting, carrying multi-generational implications. What is the word of the Lord to you as Antioch? Is that the founding word Isaiah 54, two through three? Let's read it together. Oh, sorry, 54, two through three. It's not my founding word, it's y'all's. All right. (laughs) Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home and spare no expense. Whoa, I love that. For you will soon be bursting at the seams and your descendants, everyone say descendants, will occupy other nations. Everyone say other nations. Whoa, I think I want to sign up, bro. Sign me up for Antioch. Oh, all right. And resettled the desolate cities. Let me read that again. Enlarge your house. Build an addition spread out your home and spare no expense. I love that. That's an extravagant statement right there. For you will soon be bursting at the seams and your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Could it be God in his sovereign, all-knowing wisdom that he knew that we are entering into a time that would be so turbulent, that cities would be more desolate than ever before? that the harvest would be more abundant ever than before, but didn't have the laborers, that there would be such an anti-Christian sentiment, or that there would be such hopelessness and lack of love that people were looking for a solution that they couldn't put words to. Could it be that in God knowing this season, that he would say, I always have a solution, and my solution is going to be to raise up Antioch, to initiate a covenant with them, Because, you know, in a time of godless leadership of Saul, the Lord will always have a David in the hillside. In a time of Babylon, he will always be preparing an Esther for such a time as this. In a time of Babylon, he will always set apart four young men named Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not bow their knee and to walk in holiness, to turn the tide of a desolate city and a broken culture and bring forth his kingdom. Could it be that when this word of the Lord came, that God saw 35 years later that there would be desolate cities, but he's like, oh, I have a solution in mind. I'm not intimidated by the circumstances of this day and of this age, for I am initiating a covenant. I am initiating covenant with my people. I am creating destiny-defining encounters. And when I say that, you could be like, well, so no, you're just singling out Jimmy, but I'm gonna tell you this. People are the movement. You are the movement. You're not just attending a church. You have found yourself drawn to this place and now are just as much a part of the movement as a Jimmy, even if you got here two weeks ago. Welcome to the movement. And this is why, can you put up that first slide again? Why it's so important for you to contend for the individual promises over your life. And it's not faith alone that inherits promises, it's persevering faith that inherits promises, according to Hebrews chapter 6. And in the fulfillment of God's promises over your individual life, for a nation he might give you, you will help fulfill the corporate promises and the covenants that God has initiated with this house. So important to understand. You are not here by accident. Your story is not independent. Your story is a part of a community story. That community story is a part of another community, of a covenant historical story. And we need to see ourselves this way, not just as members of a church or see missions as a program from my church in the summer, but to see ourselves as covenant people. All right, so this is God's side, the characteristics of covenant. So let's look at man's side. So, here are the characteristics of covenant renewal. So, after God does that, there's a rightful response from his people. So, you can see this throughout scripture. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 29. We all know that they're on the plains of Moab, they're about to cross over the Jordan. And in that place, they don't look at the promised land and redefine what their future is. They actually look at their history. And then they re-educate themselves on the words of the Lord, the covenants that God made with them, the promises he made to their father and their father's father. And they, after that place, they come into this place of unity and agreement around these multi-generational words that have implication for the generation that they're currently in. And in that place, as they get that data, then they know what their inheritance is. Joshua 1 spells it out really clear. Hey, it's gonna go as far as north here, it's gonna go as far as south there, it's gonna go as far as east there, it's gonna go as far as west there, and you know what? Don't depart from these words of the Lord to the right or to the left. Just keep declaring it, keep declaring it, keep declaring it. And you know what? Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And if you didn't get the first two times, I'm gonna command you the third time. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. Consecrate yourself today, for tomorrow God's going to do great wonders in your midst. He's going to do them. and But all of this understanding of where they're headed is not connected to a new word of the Lord. It's actually connected to the history. And as you're going through Antioch 3.0, you're not going to hear something new, you're going to hear something old. But then that old word is going to have new life. That old word is going to have new grace. Because it's available for each of us who find ourselves in this movement as of two weeks ago. (laughs) So let's look. Characteristics of covenant renewal. So first, after God initiates that covenant, revelation demands a response and revelation demands a responsibility. So it's like man now needs to initiate times of renewal with the Lord. We see that in Deuteronomy 29. We see that in Joshua 24. I'll give you another example. Joshua 24, they had already possessed the promise now. Joshua says, this is our history with God from the days of Moses. And then he goes, I don't know about you, but I'm re-signing up for the word of the Lord as an old man. And he's like, as for me and my household, we're gonna serve God. We're gonna serve this covenant. We're gonna do what God revealed to us over the last couple hundred years. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we're gonna do that. And he's like, now do you go before God? Are you going to do that? And it says that they were cut to the heart. And it says that they also enter into this time of covenant renewal. And there's another example in 2 Kings chapter 22. There's examples throughout the scripture. But after it's man-initiated, then there's uh, destiny re-engaging moments or destiny-engaging events. This is where we respond to God saying, yes, Antioch 3.0. Yes, another mission-sending movement. Yes, to the other nations of the earth. Yes, to being going to desolate cities. Yes, to our descendants, not just our generations past, but our descendants going to those places. And in those destiny re-engaging moments, it clarifies choice again. Because I am laying it out here, in the end of the day when you leave here, you are going to have to make a decision. Will you agree with the word of the Lord that God initiated with this place? Or will you live as a sideline spectator? And that's not my decision to make. That's why it's called your choice, right? Choice clarifying, right? But remember, it says life and death in the parentheses, but you know, I'm just just thinking. All right, (laughs) with all that to say. Then it's vision reaffirming. So of course, the vision's been clarified by the covenant. But when we respond to that vision, there's an affirmation reaffirming that this is God. This is his word that will not return empty or void. This is me finding my purpose inside of this greater story. And now I am affirming and reaffirming, and reaffirming the vision that has come. Then it's responsibility embracing. Everyone say embracing. This is where we need to make real adjustments. Covenants aren't overly spiritual and hard to grab a hold of. They are super practical. Super practical. Super practical. And in the same way, we must um, embrace responsibility. And these are our own forms of repentance. Remember, repentance isn't confession only. Repentance is turning our lives, turning our time, turning our resources, turning our affections, turning our lives to align with who God is and the Word of the Lord. So in the same way, it's responsibility embracing. And whether you're right there in the center of the will of God, whether you were sent as a missionary a number of years ago but kind of lost your flame, whether you just joined the movement and got saved during world mandate just keep aligning with the word of the Lord. Finally, it's aligning with the implication of God's good and perfect will. Because what I'm talking about here isn't the vision statement of a church. What I'm talking about here is the Ephesians 1, God's perfect plan for the redemption of humanity and God's initiated covenant to Antioch within the broader story of who Jesus is. This is the invitation from the Lord to you. So I want to personalize this a little bit. What is the word of the Lord to Antioch? How often are we sharing it with one another? How often are we sharing it with our children? How often are we praying and weeping over the nations of the earth? How often are we, are we saying, hey, I'm not going to spare an expense. And I'm gonna lay hold of Isaiah 54 and just extravagantly give it all. How am I going to engage in this story? No story's perfect, but I wanna be a part of it. And I put it on all of you because we are in a season of Antioch 3.0. Because could it be that actually what you've seen over the last 35 years is your humble beginning? And actually, what God has in mind is exponential. Because when you become great grand when you become grandparents, you become exponential, right? Yes. They got four kids, they got seven grandkids, they got more grandkids on the way, right? Yes. Yes. So it's a small kid. I don't know if you have seven, but yeah, so it's this exponential factor. And the most incredible part of this is that you have the momentum of generations behind your back. You have the wind of the Holy Spirit. And decades of people who have gone before you, you may may not even know their names, but we are about to reap what we have not sown because many have paid the price. Adoniram Judson said this. He says, there is no success without sacrifice. If you have success without sacrifice, it's because someone went ahead of you and sacrificed. He says, if you have sacrifice and no success, it's because you are sacrificing so that someone can be successful after you. And in the same way, we are stepping into this multi-generational story of the promises of God. Could we see the greatest sending movement that this house has ever seen? Could we see the fullness of God's kingdom in spirit and in truth, in revival and reformation, in church planting and vocational ministry, and ministry into the spheres? Could we see the discipling of nations together? Could we see families saying, I didn't go up going to church. I grew up in God's presence and standing on his word. Could we lay hold of it together? You are not just a number in a pew. You are not just a number in a crowd of a couple thousand people. The Lord saw this place sovereignly and initiated something. He knew that he would, you would be here and that you made the choice to be here. And he knew that your mother's womb was his art studio, where he was making a masterpiece, designed and pre-wired for such a time as this. Not the last generation, not the next generation, but this generation, being a part of a multi-generational family on mission. And this invitation isn't just to the leaders, this invitation is to every individual. Because we saw inside of the covenant, Joshua's made his choice, Jimmy's made his choice. But what is our choice? I can't answer that for you. Your leaders can't answer that for you. You need to answer that for you. So I just want us to stand up together if there's a yes in your heart to respond to God's covenant that he's made with this house and this movement I want you to lift your hands to the Lord and I don't want you to lift them hastily consider it think through the implications for you and your children Think through the implications of your finances, how you spend your time, how you organize your life. Think through the implications of what this means for how you're personally living. But if you're serious about saying, I am the covenant person, I am in this movement that God has appointed and anointed in the spirit of Isaiah 54 expand the tent pegs of the Lord so that the glory of God could fill the nations of the earth. To spare no expense and to live extravagantly for the kingdom of God. To go to other nations, especially the most hard and unreached. And to go to any desolate city that he may ask me. Just want you to raise those hands nice and high. Father, today in Jesus' name, just like the Israelites in Deuteronomy 29, just like the Israelites in the 12 different tribes, God in Joshua 24, Father, us with our hands raised say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we say yes to you. We lay hold of the grace, we lay hold of the strength, We lay hold of what you want to give to empower us, to help fulfill the call of God on our individual lives and our family's life, but to fulfill the call over Antioch movement, but ultimately to fulfill the call of our Lord Jesus. I ask today, I pray Psalm 89 over all of us. Happy are the worshipers who find themselves in the presence of the Lord. For all day long, they exalt your amazing reputation. And it says, it's your glorious, it's your glory and your pleasure to give them strength. I ask, Father, strengthen what remains. I ask today, Father, that you would bring them back to the days of old. I ask today that when we tell stories of Antioch's inception and birth, that those would be tamed to the stories that we're about to tell of going to the nations of the earth. I ask today that we'd be unafraid of risk, unafraid, God, like uh, uh, whether we're 75 years old, like my dad, who said, this is the greatest risk I've taken in the last 50 years, or whether we're just new to the kingdom as of two weeks ago, Father, fill our lives with wild risk in you today. All we need is the word of the Lord. All we need, God, is for you to speak. Your servants are listening. I ask, Father, release that grace upon this community now in Jesus' name. May we never be blinded by our maturity, our over sophistication, leading into our experiences or principles that we've learned. All those things are great for wisdom. But Lord, when the word of the Lord comes, that we would be willing to lay down anything, take any kind of risk to follow you I pray today in Jesus name and I ask Holy Spirit come and anoint come and bring power, come and bring authority, come and bring creativity, come and bring innovation come and bring all those things that come by your Holy Spirit Father I declare Second Peter chapter 1 you have given them what they need to live this life of godliness, everything that they need is already in their possession I pray Father that they will lay hold of it today in faith in you and father i do ask that you would release fresh courage fresh conviction and fresh confidence in your presence there may never be a more needed time than now where we need courageous leadership to find ourselves in the fallen state of Myanmar, to find ourselves in the Middle East in the midst of war, to find ourselves in a reawakening that's happening in Europe. I ask today for courage courage to be released and courageous leadership to be given. I ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come, that they would find themselves living with unction, zero hesitation, filled with unction, with zero hesitation. And I pray that they would walk in confidence, not looking to the right or to the left, but looking to the one who made them, looking to the one who's giving them marching orders. God, give that confidence, I pray today, knowing that they are loved and sent by you. So Father, we ask that you would inaugurate this new day of Antioch 3.0. Inaugurate this new day before heaven right now. We are in unity and agreement before your throne before your presence and we say yes to the word of the Lord over our movement today.